Hello and welcome to the Lancet's UK election podcasts. I'm Richard Lane, one of the Lancet's web editors. Over the coming weeks, we're going to be speaking to the health spokespeople of many of the political parties as we run up to the UK general election on Thursday, May the 7th. These podcasts will run for around 10 minutes, no more, and will be an opportunity for the parties that we interview to put across their key health priorities as we run up to the election. In our first election podcast, let's hear from the National Health Action Party. My name's Clive P. Dell. I'm co-leader of the National Health Action Party. Many thanks for talking to The Lancet and having the dubious honour of being the first person to speak on one of our special election podcasts. But it seems logical to start with you, the National Health Action Party, because you are a party whose constitution is all about health. Tell us or remind us, if our listeners already know, how you came to being, because it, it's, it's a relatively recent story, isn't it, how the NHA emerged? That's correct. We actually formed in 2012. What happened is a group of healthcare professionals came together because we were so angry about the passage of the Health and Social Care Act. Both the Conservative Party and the Liberal Democrats uh, promised before the election that there would be no top-down reorganisation of the NHS. When they actually came into power of as the coalition, they also brought out the coalition agreement, which also restated that there would be no top-down reorganisation of the NHS. But within months, obviously, we then got the Lansley White Paper, which became the Health and Social Care Bill, and eventually became the Health and Social Care Act. So we were absolutely appalled by the lack of democratic legitimacy of this. We felt, well, if we can't be listened to, we actually need to challenge uh, these people at the ballot box. And, and, and that's why we decided to form the National Health Action Party. Where are you standing? How many candidates do you have in the election coming up? Well, currently we have about 13 candidates and we're possibly going to uh, have a couple more. So maybe about 15 candidates, various places around uh, the country. We're challenging uh, Jeremy Hunt in, in Surrey. I'll be challenging David Cameron in Whitney. We're also standing in Stafford in the southwest and we're hopefully announcing a candidate in the northwest fairly, fairly soon. How would you summarise in a couple of minutes what your main priorities would be for health? Going forward, we just have to see uh, where the problems have been and we do have to look back a bit to, uh, to understand that. And, and the problem we've had is over the last 30 years, we've basically had all three political parties driving a market-driven agenda for the NHS with increasing privatisation of, of, of large chunks of the health service. And we think one of the major problems has been the purchase of provider splits where you know, GPs are buying care from hospitals for their patients. And we think this market system is incredibly costly. It's a massive bureaucracy and needs to be abolished. At the same time, we've in, in recent years, we've had this awful austerity. We're an anti-austerity party. We believe that austerity is dreadful for healthcare. Firstly, it actually increases the, the demands uh, of healthcare because we know uh, it worsens population health. And we know that um, wealth inequality clearly leads to health inequality. It also reduces the supply of healthcare because we, we obviously you end up with policies that cut services. So our policies are very much driven at addressing the, the austerity agenda, coming up with alternative policies for that, uh, and, and, and also very much standing up for an NHS which is publicly funded, publicly delivered and publicly accountable, getting rid of this disastrous uh, purchaser-provider split so we can have proper 
integrated care rather than NHS organisations competing against one another. Now I know you've had a, a brief look at the Lancet's Manifesto for Health and if you look in the National Health Service part of that there are five priorities there. The first one that's mentioned and, and that is this critical relationship between primary care and accident and emergency. What are you saying about that? We very much believe that the crisis in A&E at present is, is being due, due to sort of huge underfunding and the massive reorganisation of the, of the system. And one of the areas that's been dramatically underfunded is, is our general practice system, which, if it was properly funded, would make a huge difference to, to, uh, to A&E. The Royal College of GPs are asking for an extra 8,000 GPs to, to cope with, with demand. And we, we certainly believe that there needs to be big investment in, in general practice. And in terms of the A&E, there's, again, there's massive lack of numbers of consultants, uh, trainees, uh, positions are, are unfilled up and down the country. Uh, and therefore there's a there's a huge backlog and that's why we've had this huge problem with exit block and we agree with the college of emergency medicine in their their measures to to address their step measures to to, to sort out this exit block and and a fundamental part of that is investing in in general practice and we also agree with the idea of general practice um linking up much more closely with it, with a and e in, in in the big cities i think that could be very useful what about the delivery of child and adolescent health care Again, I think there's, there are huge issues around this, and this links back to the, you know, uh, the whole austerity agenda, and, and the people that get most affected by that are the, are the most vulnerable, which are the poorest, and, uh, and, and, and children who come from the poorest families. We've seen the, the Sure Start program completely undermined, and that leaves you know, children shortchanged in terms of their education and, and their future health. We really need to invest in preventative care, in looking after our children so that they get the best possible education, upbringing and health advice and, and health care that they possibly can. Do you agree with The Lancet that we need to get rid of this false dichotomy between physical and mental health? I think so. There's much being made of trying to equalise spending on mental health care and physical health care and we, we, we very much uh, support that. There's been a lot of talk about it. Until we actually get mental and physical well-being on, a, on an equal footing, then we're not going to be able to look after uh, you know, a big proportion of our population because mental health problems, uh, as you know, are hugely common. Millions of people up and down the country are affected and, and we need to look after our, our mental health, especially during these you know, very difficult times. What are you saying about public health, specifically uh, disease prevention. People will see from our manifesto, we're, we're very big on public health. We have a number of public health care professionals who were involved in co-founding the party. So we believe prevention is, is hugely important, looking after the population's health and the fragmentation of our healthcare system, putting public health into local authorities. We, we, we didn't feel that was the, r the right way forward. And we want a much more nationally driven public health care system with big investments because you can get the most health gains from that. Elderly and social care, which is the fifth priority in the Lancet Manifesto, you're calling for integrated health and social care and free for elderly and disabled people, is that correct? Absolutely. We feel a bit like the Scottish model uh, where you still get uh, free adult social nursing care. We believe that needs to come back 
work under the umbrella of the NHS. If we don't do that, people cannot afford their health care long term. And what actually happens if you can't afford to look after people, then who ends up looking after them? It's often their relatives. They often have to give up work to look after their elderly relatives. It's economically incredibly damaging. Whereas if we had a healthy welfare state to look after people into their old age, that would free up relatives to, to carry on with their own work life and, and also provide employment to people in the caring industry. And in terms of how you're going to fund it, I've read in your literature one thing you're proposing is a one penny increase in income tax. Is that right? That's correct. We believe that one p in the pounds could go a long way to filling the NHS uh, funding gap, which is £22 billion. 1p in income tax will raise about £4.5 billion per year. Our policies include abolishing the private financial initiative, uh, renegotiating contracts, which could save the NHS hundreds of millions of pounds per year. We feel that if we abolish the uh, the market within the healthcare system, that could save up to £4 billion a, a year as well. There's research from Keele University that has shown that uh, the market is costing, in administrative terms, about £4 billion a year. So that's that should be spent on frontline healthcare instead of contracts, instead of advertising, instead of lawyers and accountants, with all this outsourcing nonsense that's completely undermining the system. The future funding of medical research in the UK and also the UK's contribution to global health. What are your thoughts there? Well, I certainly feel that uh, research is, is hugely important uh, to this country. We've got a fantastic reputation worldwide in terms of our, our medical research. And I know that the, the Lancet's point that it does tend to be focused in just a few cities up and down the country. And I, I would concur with that. We do need to be fairer in terms of the distribution of research funds around the country. But that is another way but through um, investing in research of innovating, developing new healthcare ideas, new healthcare technologies to actually help, you know, stimulate the economy. So, you know, that type of investment is hugely important economically and reputationally and extremely useful for, for the NHS as a whole. When it comes to international development, I think that's one thing the UK government has done reasonably well compared to other governments. They, they have agreed to stick to the 0.7% of GDP going overseas, which as long as that's managed well and it could have a huge impact on global health but it's got to be matched by other countries what do you think is going to happen on may the 7th absolutely fascinating question well it's either going to be a labor uh, or a tory led administration now whether uh, either is going to be in a majority is the question at hand i probably suspect it could be a labor minority government propped up by the smp that's what it's looking like at the moment i don't think anybody can be certain and that's why it's so important that the national health action party is involved because we can actually even though we're small and we're only standing in limited seats i think we can have a, an impact you know if just a few votes here and there could make a big difference and if we can raise our voices uh, you know in the melee of all the political debates we could make a big difference we're very happy to have our policies stolen by other other organizations that's what we're trying to do we're trying to influence that's how i think we can have some power in on the political stage many thanks to clive pidel and in our next election podcast we'll be talking to the green party see you then